Chapter Fourteen of Memoirs of Madame Vigée Le Bon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Memoirs of Madame Vigée Le Bon by Elizabeth Louise Vigée Le Bon. Translated by Lionel Strachey. Chapter Fourteen, Homeward Bound. I left St. Petersburg sad, sick, and alone in my carriage, having been unable to keep my Russian maid. I had nobody but a very old man who wanted to go to Prussia, and whom I had given a servant's place through pity, which I had cause to regret, because he got so drunk at every stage that he had to be carried back to the box. Monsieur de Riviere, escorting me in his calash, was of no great assistance to me, especially after crossing the Russian frontier and entering the sandy district, for his postilions, from whom he did not know how to exact obedience, were continually taking side roads, while I followed the main road. My first stop I made at Narva, a well-fortified but ugly, ill-paved little town. The road leading there is entrancing, it is edged with pretty houses and English gardens. In the distance is the sea, covered with ships, which makes this route extremely picturesque. The women of Narva wear the dress of ancient times. They are good-looking, for the people of Livonia in general are splendid. Nearly all the heads of the old men reminded me of Raphael's Heads of Christ, and the young men, their long hair falling on their shoulders, might have been models to that great painter. The day after my arrival I went to visit a magnificent cataract at some distance from the town. A huge mass of water, you cannot tell where it comes from, forms a torrent so rapid and powerful that in its course it runs up enormous rocks, from which it tumbles noisily down to rush up other rocks. The multitudinous cascades thus shooting after each other in succession and swallowing each other up produce a terrifying din. While I was occupied in sketching this beautiful horror, some of the inhabitants of Narva who were watching me told me of a dreadful thing they had witnessed. The waters of the cataract, swollen by great rains, had carried away some of the bank, and with it a house that was the home of a family. The cries of distress of the unfortunates were heard, and their frightful plight was seen, but no aid could be given them since it was impossible to steer a boat in the torrent. The heart-rending spectacle was finally followed by one far more shocking, when the house and the unhappy family were engulfed, and disappeared before the eyes of those who were now narrating the catastrophe, and who were still quite affected by it. Arriving at Riga, I found that this town, like Narva, was neither handsome nor well-paved, but it is known to be a great commercial place, and has a fine harbour. Most of the men are habited like Turks or Poles, and all women not of the populace put a gauze veil over their heads when they go out. I scarcely had time to make other observations, as I was hastening to reach Mittau, where I still hoped to find the royal family. But to my annoyance I arrived too late and did not meet them, so that I made but a short stay in this town, where I had only gone for the sake of seeing our princes. I had taken the post from St. Petersburg, but at Riga we met the Grand Duchess of Baden, who
who was on her way to the empress her daughter and who left not a horse on our route i was obliged to hire horses at livery stables and the coachman instead of putting me down for the night at the post-houses took me to wretched cabins where there were no beds and nothing to eat so that in most cases i spent the night in my carriage as for food the soup i got was made without meat but with carrots and bad butter if i had a fowl killed it was so lean and so tough that monsieur de riviere and i were unable to cut it and we barely had time to finish these miserable meals in so great haste were the liverymen to resume the journey we drove through such deep sand that the horses went at a walk it was frightfully hot in order to get air i was obliged to leave all my windows open and both postilions smoked incessantly the vile odor of their pipes sickened me so that i preferred to walk most of the time they smoked although i was up to my ankles in sand fortunately no robbers are ever met with on these roads true i noticed wolves on the neighboring heights but apparently they were afraid of us for they always fled when we drew near and so did the poor stags which i frequently saw crossing the road when alarmed by monsieur de riviere's calash in my state of health such hardships were bound to tell upon me a few days in fact were enough to break me down to such a degree that not to succumb altogether it needed all my courage and my lively determination not to interrupt the journey i became so weak and ill that i had to drag myself to my carriage where i remained motionless bereft even of the ability to think the only sensation i had was a sharp pain in the right side caused by rheumatism and intensified with every jolt this pain was so unbearable that one day when we were driving on a road under repair and full of stones i fainted away in the carriage a part of my torture ended at Königsberg. there i took the post as far as berlin where i arrived about the end of july eighteen o one at ten in the evening but though i needed rest so badly i was first to undergo the ordeal of the custom-house i was made to enter a large dark vault where i waited a full two hours the customs officers then said they wanted to hold my carriage so as to examine it at night which would have compelled me to walk to the inn in the pouring rain i argued with these men in french and they answered me in german it was enough to drive one to distraction they would not even allow me to take out a nightcap and a little vial containing an antispasmodic of which i certainly would stand in great need after such a trial i was so hoarse from shouting at the barbarians that i could not speak at last i obtained permission to leave the custom-house in my carriage and i went to the city of paris inn with a customs officer a real demon and dead drunk into the bargain he opened my luggage and turned everything pell-mell appropriating a piece of embroidered indian stuff given me by madame du barry on my departure from paris as i did not wish my sibyl or the studies i had made of the emperor and empress of russia to be unrolled my carriage was put under seal and at last i was able to get to bed early next day i sent for monsieur ronspach my banker who settled all my difficulties with the custom-house three days sufficed to rest me from the fatigues of my journey and i was feeling much better when the queen of prussia who was then absent from berlin 
was kind enough to request my presence at Potsdam, where she desired me to do her portrait. I went. But my pen is incapable of rendering the impression which the first sight of that princess made upon me. The beauty of her heavenly face, that expressed benevolence and goodness, and whose features were so regular and delicate, the loveliness of her figure, neck, and arms, the exquisite freshness of her complexion, all was enchanting beyond anything imaginable. She was in deep mourning, and wore a coronet of black jet, which, far from being to her disadvantage, brought out the dazzling whiteness of her skin. One must have seen the Queen of Prussia, in order to understand how bewitched I was when I first beheld her. She made an appointment for the first sitting. I cannot, she said, give it to you before noon, because the king reviews the troops at ten every morning, and likes me to attend. She wanted to lodge me in the palace, but knowing that this must inconvenience one of her ladies, I declined with thanks, and took quarters in a neighboring hotel, where I was very badly off in every way. My stay at Potsdam was nevertheless a veritable delight to me, for the more I saw of that charming queen, the more was I sensible to the privilege of being in her company. She seemed to wish to see the studies I had made of the Emperor Alexander and the Empress Elizabeth. I promptly brought them to her, as well as my sibyl, which I had stretched. I cannot say how graciously she praised this picture. She was so friendly and so kind that the feeling she inspired was altogether one of affection. I look back with pleasure upon all the marks of favor that Her Majesty showered upon me, even in the slightest matters. For instance, I was in the habit of taking coffee of a morning, and in my hotel it was always atrocious. Somehow I told the Queen about this, and the next day she sent me some that was excellent. Another time, when I complimented her on her bracelets, which were in the antique style, she at once removed them from her arms and put them on mine. This gift was more welcome to me than a fortune would have been. From that day forth, those bracelets have traveled with me everywhere. She was also obliging enough to give me a box at the theater quite near hers. From this place of vantage, I enjoyed, above all, looking at Her Majesty whose lovely face was like that of a sixteen-year-old girl. During one of our sittings, the queen sent for her children. To my great surprise, I found that they were ugly. In showing them to me, she said, They are not pretty. I confess I had not the courage to deny it. I contented myself with replying that their faces had a great deal of character. Besides the two pastels I made of Her Majesty, I did two others of Prince Ferdinand's family. One of the young princesses, Louise, who had married Prince Radzivill, was pretty and very genial. For some time I had a delightful correspondence with her. I count her as one of the people one can never forget. Her husband was a thorough musician. I remember a surprise he caused me arising solely from a difference in national customs. During my sojourn at Berlin, I was taken to a grand public concert and was amazed to the last degree upon entering the hall to see Prince Radzivill performing on the harp. Such a thing would be impossible with us. Never could an amateur, especially a prince, play before anyone but his own social circle, and certainly not before people who paid. I suppose in Prussia it was quite usual. 
in berlin i made the acquaintance of the baroness de krudner so well known for her cleverness and her rhapsodical notions her renown as an author was already established but she had not yet gained the reputation of a religious prophet that made her so famous in the north she and her husband treated me with great civility i can say the same for madame de Sousa, the portuguese ambassadress whose portrait i painted at the time on first arriving at berlin i called upon the french ambassador general bournonville for i was at last beginning to consider a return to paris my friends and particularly my brother urgently suggested i should do so they had easily had my name taken off the list of exiles so that i was re-established as a frenchwoman which in spite of all i had ever remained in my heart although general bournonville was the first republican ambassador i visited i had already seen others toward the end of my stay at st petersburg general duroc and monsieur chateaugiron appeared at alexander's court as envoys of bonaparte and i remember hearing the empress elizabeth saying to the emperor when are we to receive the citizens monsieur de chateaugiron called upon me i was as polite as in me lay but that tricolored cockade affected me unspeakably a few days later they both dined at princess galatzine's at table i found myself next to general duroc who was said to have been one of napoleon's intimates he addressed not a single word to me and i did likewise to him the dinner i speak of gave rise to a rather amusing incident the princess's cook wholly ignorant of the french revolution naturally took these gentlemen for ambassadors from the king of france wishing to honor them after much reflection he bethought himself that the lily was the emblem of france and accordingly arranged his truffles and fillets and sweetmeats in that pattern this so took the guests aback that the princess fearing no doubt she was suspected of a bad joke called up the cook and asked him what all the lilies meant said the worthy soul with an air of proud satisfaction i wanted to show your excellency that i knew the proper thing to do on great occasions a few days before i said farewell to berlin the director-general of the academy of painting most courteously came to me in person with my diploma as a member of said academy the many tokens of goodwill heaped upon me at the prussian capital and court would assuredly have kept me longer had my plans not been definitely fixed hence being resolved to go i bade good-bye to that dear kind lovely young queen all unwitting alas how few years after i was to be shocked with the news of her death at starting from berlin i was threatened with the loss of everything i owned and this is how it happened my horses were ordered for five o'clock in the morning my manservant must have gone to make his adieus to some friends for he did not appear and in prussia as everyone knows horses do not wait i got up and dressed in a thoroughly sleepy condition meanwhile the porter of my hotel not seeing my man took my jewel case downstairs with my remaining effects this jewel case which contained all my diamonds and other ornaments and my cash my whole fortune in fact i always had under my feet when traveling by the greatest luck as soon as i got into my carriage though half asleep i noticed that my feet were not supported as usual 
the horses were just off i cried out to have them stopped and then called to the porter for my jewel case purposely making enough noise to wake the mistress of the house and i was successful for after some evasions by the porter the case was brought out it had been found in a stable at the back of the yard all covered with hay the incident had given my man time to arrive and i drove away in high spirits as may well be imagined at having recovered both my servant and my jewel case i record the adventure thinking it may be useful as a lesson to absent-minded travelers from berlin i went to dresden and then on to brunswick where i spent a few days with the riviere family between brunswick and weimar my postilion lost the way and we were stuck for hours in the heaviest soil i remember that as a truce to my impatience and more particularly to my appetite i gathered up some of that wretched earth and tried to model a head with it i really achieved something that looked like a face though furnished with letters for the court of weimar i did not present them but after a day's rest proceeded to gotha here i met an old friend i had known in paris baron grimm who very civilly attended to all my wants for the journey which i did not again interrupt until i reached frankfurt we were obliged to wait at frankfurt for six days during which i was very much bored to pass the time i mended my old shirts and the lord knows what sort of sewing that was on reaching paris i engaged a chambermaid who remarked when she saw my mending anyone can see that madame has been in a savage country for this is sewn like the devil i laughed and informed her that it was my own handiwork the poor girl quite embarrassed was eager to take back what she had said but i reassured her by acknowledging that i had never been an adept with the needle i will not attempt to describe my feelings at setting foot on the soil of france from which i had been absent twelve years i was stirred by terror grief and joy in turn i mourned the friends who had died on the scaffold but i was to see those again who still lived this france that i was entering once more had been the scene of horrible crimes but this france was my country end of chapter fourteen recording by james k white chula vista